If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 18. Just reading this one verse to begin with. It says, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for your presence. We're thankful for what we feel in your house. And we just pray now that your word would speak to us. Lord, those things which you've given us to minister... Lord, let us receive them in faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Anoint this vessel to deliver that which you've given me, I pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 31 is a time frame in Israel's history. It's very, very significant. Uh, They've not long been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And God now begins to impart to Moses the details of what we now call the Mosaic Law or the Law of Moses and the instructions for the production, for the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And as a part of this process, God gave Moses two tablets or two panels of stone which God himself, it says, wrote upon. This is the first record in the scripture of written communication from God to man. And uh, some suggest that it is while Moses was on the mountain with the Lord, he was up there for quite some time, that it was there that the Lord showed or revealed to Moses certain details, particularly historically, that enabled him to be able to write the book of Genesis. Moses is generally considered to have been the author of the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, it is clearly understood and we would, that what would be also included later, that the things that, that God gave to Moses were not the ramblings of a man's imagination. They were not works of fiction, but rather they were the inspired and holy word of God. Amen. This is evident from the temptation of Jesus in the New Testament when he was confronted by the devil. The first response of the Lord in rejecting the devil's approach is to reach back to the word of God that came from the Old Testament where he said, it is written. Amen. And he used the Word of God. And uh, I'm not sure if we got it. Is the PowerPoint not working? Are we having a freeze up down the back? We got it gone? That's okay. We do have some scriptures. Amen. Last Sunday morning, I taught about the Word of God as something to hold on to. On Sunday night, Brother Fiston also ministered to us about the Word of God. And I feel very strongly from the Lord the need to continue in that vein today that we would be reminded and refreshed of its power, of its purpose, and of its place in our lives. And so for the sake of a title this morning, my message is simply called, You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. Amen. Written communication has been around for a very long time. We, the first letter that we ever read about in the Scripture, the first time a letter is mentioned, is when David has committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his soldiers, Uriah. And as David tries to cover his sin, he brings Uriah home from the battlefield to try to get him to spend time with his wife to make it look as though the child was his. 
And when this failed, because of Uriah's integrity, and there's a lesson there, sometimes integrity will cost you something, David wrote a letter to the general of the army, a man by the name of Joab, and he actually had Uriah deliver that letter himself. And in that letter were the instructions to deliberately have this honorable man killed in battle to try to cover sin. That's the first biblical mention of a letter. But when we consider the letters that Paul wrote and others wrote in the New Testament, they were hand-carried. They weren't, you didn't just lick a couple of stamps and slap it on the envelope and drop it in the red box at the end of the street. When Paul wrote his epistles and Peter wrote his and John wrote his, they were put in the hands of somebody who would have had to travel. Most of the time probably on foot, sometimes maybe on a mule, sometimes in the back of a kind farmer's cart on a ship perhaps. But it, it wasn't as simple as it is nowadays. And uh, I imagine that it must have brought great excitement to the churches to receive those epistles and to read them to the congregation. They were special occasions because as we know now, those letters were again the inspired word of God. God inspired those men to write those words and to deliver them to his people. And sometimes when you read the epistles, you can see that they were written in a response to a letter that they had received where the church would send a communication possibly to the Apostle Paul and say, well, you know, we've got this going on and that going on. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, would reply. And so the church had an anticipation of the reply that was coming. A little bit of historical context, the practice of mail being delivered, uh, well, perhaps not the same way, but in a connected fashion to what we enjoy today, as most of you know, Brother Peter's out most days of the week delivering the mail for Australia Post. But it appears in history as early as 550 B.C. in Persia where the, it was decreed that there should be a delivery and a reception location for mail in every single province. don't know that it was quite as uh, advanced as what we have, but it was the beginning of it's the first record as far as I could find of the process. Mail has been delivered by just about every form of transport, including a lot of different animals, horses, carrier pigeons just about everything in between. And apparently the Israeli Postal Service still to this day receives about 1,000 letters each year addressed to God. People write letters to God and send them to Israel. And uh, I guess they think he lives there. But um, the, the Postal Service actually takes those letters. They don't just throw, oh, here's another one, throw them away. But they actually take those letters and take them to the Western Wall in Jerusalem and insert those letters in the cracks in the Western Wall, which if you know much about that, it's a, it's a sacred place to the Jews where they go to pray. Another interesting historical fact about mail is that in 1914 in the USA, a husband and wife wanted to save money on the train fare, so they actually mailed their five-year-old daughter to her grandparents, which you could apparently do back then. She rode in the mail car on the train, and then the mail clerk delivered her to her grandparents' house. I imagine you'd get in trouble for trying to mail your children nowadays. We don't use mail in the same sense as they did historically. Nowadays, so much of our communication happens by email. But the principle is still the same. There is power in the written word. There's power in the written word. And you actually, if you go home, if you're interested, you can Google. There are some very famous letters that were written throughout history. One of the ones I came across was when Gandhi wrote to Hitler asking him to stop the war. 
appealing to him as a friend, trying to get him to stop the war. We know how that went. But the Word of God is God's written Word to us. It is written by God to humanity. He did not write it with his finger like he did on the mountain with Moses, but his spirit moved upon men throughout history and inspired them to write on his behalf. Paul told Timothy, I think it's 2 Timothy 3.16, it's not in the slides, that he used the word that the word of God is inspired. And when you look at the original meaning of that word, it has to do with God breathing. It was as if God breathed on them and they wrote. God expressed himself through those writers to give us what we now call the Bible and the scriptures. And God, here's the thing we need to understand when we think about the word of God. God knows your name. He knows your address. He knows your needs. He knows exactly what you're going through. And if, that's the big thing, if you're willing to read and to listen, then God will always send you mail. God will always want to communicate with you, but it is conditional on our desire to receive. Eight times in the Gospels, Jesus used the expression, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. It was not a statement of the presence or absence of ears, but it was a statement of the attitude of the heart of wanting to be spoken to, of desiring to hear from God, of saying, Lord, I want to hear from you. There were people that heard him but didn't want to hear him. You read the story of Stephen when he's giving his testimony and he preaches the message in Acts chapter 6 or 7 and it says that those that listened to him stopped their ears. They did not want to hear the word. They did not want to hear a message that would convict their hearts, that would make them have to admit that they were sinners. And so they stopped their ears and they put him to death rather than hear the word that he was preaching. And so when Jesus is saying, he that have ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, if you want to hear from me, I want to speak to you. The issue is never God's reluctance to speak. The issue is our willingness to hear. Last weekend, we mentioned the parable of the sower and the seed and how the Bible, Jesus said, a sower went out to sow and the images of a, of a man with a bag of grain and taking his hand and, and sowing that seed. And Jesus spoke about how the seed fell on four different kinds of ground and there were outcomes for each of those different kinds of soil. And when, when he explained this parable to his disciples in Luke chapter 8, And starting to read at verse 11, when he broke down what the story was about, it wasn't just, let's talk about farming, there was a deeper principle. He said in verse 11 of Luke 8, the parable is this, so this is what it means. The seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God, and we know that the life is in the seed. And he said, those that are by the wayside, which is one of the types of ground, are they that hear, and then comes the devil and takes away the words out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And then the next verse, he said, those that are on the rock or on the stony ground, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. But they have no root, which they believe for a while, and in a time of temptation they fall away. And those that fall amongst thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and the pleasures of this life and bring forth no fruit to perfection or to maturity. Or when we're talking about fruit, we would probably use the word ripeness, being ready to consume. Then verse 15 says, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and a good heart, having heard the word, 
keep it. Oh God, that we would keep his word and bring forth fruit with patience. The wayside and the stony ground represent hard hearts that do not want to listen. They don't want to receive the word. They don't want to be changed by it. The seed that fell on them was identical to the seed that fell on the stony ground, on the thorny ground and the good soil. All the same seed. But they don't want to listen. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15 said, While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. He's referring back to the Jews in the wilderness saying, don't be like them, don't resist God, don't harden your hearts, but hear his voice. It's amazing how our hearts are connected to our hearing. The same book, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7, it says again, he limited a certain day, or in other words, there, there is a time frame of opportunity, saying in David, today, after so long a time as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Drawing a comparison between the Israelites in the wilderness and the church, the writer of Hebrews urges us not to harden our hearts, not to be stubborn and resistant to God. If we're honest, we've all been stubborn with God at one point or another. I'd go as far as to suggest there's been more than one point. There's probably been a collection of them. There's something about us, there's something about our natural sinful nature that's default setting is to resist God to push back, to be stubborn, to, to try to not change, to, to try to shut it out and ignore it. And the thorny ground speaks of a distracted life, too many things demanding time, energy and hearts. And when you're distracted, according to this passage of Scripture, your fruit is trying to grow, but it never quite gets there. There's always something else in the way. Christians who are distracted don't become mature. They stay as consumers rather than contributors. And that's all right in the early days of your walk with God. It's supposed to be that way. But it's not supposed to stay that way. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as under spiritual, but as under carnal, even as under babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, or for, in other words, for up to this point, you weren't able to handle something that needed a bit of chewing and digesting, and you're still not able. He said he was, he was saying you should be by now. Back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, the writer said, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. What are the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat the writer of hebrews was saying to believers to the church he's saying there's a whole lot more for you to understand there's a whole lot more that god wants you to have there's things he's wanting to add to you but you don't want to listen he said you're dull of hearing speaking with the young people in the last couple of weekends one of the things we discussed was the fact that there has never been a more distracted generation than the one in which we live now there are so many ways to be distracted so, I mean, humanity's never had a problem with being distracted when it comes to God. But the world is producing more and more ways to be distracted, things that divide our attention. You can only spread yourself so thin. We're talking about, you've got mail this morning. You know, when you go to your letterbox at home, 
Some days you lift up the lid or open the flap or whatever kind of letterbox you have and there's so much stuff in there. There's so much stuff in there. There's catalogs, there's advertising, there's pizza vouchers. There's somebody wanting to sell your home for you because they've done a great job at selling five others in the same street as your house. There's bills. We all love to get them. And on and on. There's all this stuff we get in the mail. If, if it's a wet, I like it when the junk mail comes on Wednesday because the recycling bin's already on the footpath. I go straight from the letterbox to the recycling bin. Don't even bother going in the house. But if you're expecting something in the mail, if somebody has sent you something and you know it's coming, maybe a letter if you still do a little bit of old school letter writing, maybe it's something personal, maybe it's a card, maybe it's an invitation, maybe it's a gift. Nowadays, it's more likely to be online shopping than to be a letter. But when you're expecting something, notice Steve said, all right, he works at Amazon. When you're expecting something, you go to that letterbox, there's anticipation. You're not interested in the Target catalog or the Domino's voucher. You're definitely not interested in the bills. You're looking for something personal that is addressed to you because it has value to you. Amen. And when there's expectation, it is easy to put aside other things. But when you're just in the habit of checking the mail, you're going to miss things. And when we have expectation in the house of God, God wants to speak to us. He wants to talk to us, not just in the house of God, but every single day of the week. He is crying out, if you've got ears to hear, don't harden your heart. Don't be distracted. Don't be unfruitful. He wants and he expects us to be fruitful. Being fruitful is not something God presents as an option. It is expected of us as we grow that we will produce fruit. Not the same amount as your brother or your sister, but as much as God requires of you. The scripture talks about different volumes of production. It doesn't say one's better than the other. It's just saying we're all different, but we are required to be fruitful. We are required not to take what God has given us and bury it in a hole in the ground. We are required to produce the fruit of God. The awesome part is all we got to do is be the dirt. That's all we have to do. Be good soil. He gives the seed. He waters us through a lot of, you know, through prayer and being in the house of God together. He brings the increase. The, the biggest part, the hardest part for us to be fruitful is getting ourselves out of the way. That's the biggest challenge, getting our carnal nature out of the way. First Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1 says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. The word of the, word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision what that verse of scripture is telling us is that it wasn't that God didn't want to speak but that the people did not want to listen including Eli the priest when it says the word of God was precious it means that it was rare the no open vision means there wasn't a lot of prophets speaking did God was God had God lost his voice no God's people had lost their ears that was the issue and the child, God selected this child, Samuel. He began to, even as a child, speak to this boy because he wanted to hear from God. He learned to hear from God and he became a great prophet. Later on in the same chapter, in First Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. 
What that means is that Samuel learned how to hear from God. He learned how to deliver what God said to him. And he didn't get it wrong because he was willing to hear what God said. We need to be able to hear and understand what God says. We need the Word of God now more than we ever have. Amen. We need to know how this book is written. We need to know how to read this book. And when we get out of these COVID restrictions and we're able to start Bible classes again, one of the first things we're going to do is to talk about how the pieces of this book fit together because it's important that we understand. Have you ever opened somebody's mail by accident or got the wrong mail in your letterbox? My street number is 9. I live on 9 Ponte Vecchio Boulevard. That sounds like a nice name, but I have to spell it every time I give my address to somebody on the phone. So I wish I lived on Smith Street. It'd be a lot easier. But near our house is the entry to quite a large retirement village, which goes around and is actually over our back fence. And there is a Unit 9 in the retirement village. I'm almost friends with the lady that lives in that unit because of the number of times that her mail comes to my letterbox. I go out and it's like, oh, I just walk. I just take it. I just start walking down the street. Hi, I've got your mail again. We're almost friends because I keep getting the wrong mail. You know, it is actually an offense to deliberately open mail that you're not authorized to open. And we can actually, if we're not careful, and this might seem like a strange statement, but if you'll give me a moment, I'll explain it. You can actually open someone else's mail scripturally. What do I mean by that? This, when you don't understand what it's addressed to and who it's addressed to, you can misapply it and misuse it, and that causes a lot of confusion in a lot of churches. I'll give you an example. Romans chapter 10, if you'll turn there. Romans 10 and 9. Some of these, what seem to be fairly simple things, can eliminate a whole lot of confusion when it comes to the Word of God. Romans 10 and starting read at verse 9 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that passage of Scripture is used, as far as I am aware, with good intention by some people to teach sinners that to be saved from their sins, they simply need to confess with their mouth that Jesus rose from the dead, to call upon his name, and they'll be saved. And they'll point to that scripture. And when we, when we talk about being born again of water and spirit and what that means about repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and receiving the Holy Ghost, they'll go to Romans chapter 10 and they'll say, but here it just says, all you have to do is believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Tick. Confess with your mouth that who Jesus is. Tick. And you're saved. It's done. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is that this letter to the Romans... And all the other letters in the New Testament are not written to sinners. They're written to saints or believers. They're written to people that have already been saved. They're written to people who were saved and whose churches were started in the book of Acts. So 
if you've not been born again of water and spirit, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to do something about that. But if you've not been born again of water and spirit, the New Testament letters are not your mail. They're not written to you. You're actually reading someone else's mail. Now, that's okay. You can read whatever parts of the Bible you like. But you're reading mail that is addressed to people that are already born again. And if you read that thinking that you will find the answers for a sinner, you're in the wrong letter. Does it make any less valuable? No. All Scripture is inspired by God. But we have to understand how it's put together. And so what happens is if I read one of the epistles looking to tell someone how to be saved, I'm reading someone else's mail. You want to find out how to be saved, you go to the book of Acts because that's where you'll find sinners being saved. If a sinner wants to be saved, that's their mail. The Gospels of Jesus Christ and the Acts of the Apostles. Once you're saved, the epistles become your mail. Amen. I hope that makes sense. Amen. You see, because even when you look at Romans as a whole, Romans chapter 6 teaches us to be dead to sin, to repent. It also teaches us that we are baptized into Christ. Romans chapter 8 teaches us that we have the spirit of adoption. So the new birth of water and spirits in Romans anyway. But it's written to the church. It's not written to the public. And we need to understand that when we put the scriptures together. So what does this passage in chapter 10 mean? The passage we read in chapter 10 is telling believers, saints, people that are already born again, that it is not about being Jews or about believing in the law of Moses that saves us, but that all people can believe in Jesus Christ and in his death, burial, and resurrection can be saved. It's not contradictory. It's understanding how it goes together. God wants to speak to us, but you need to make sure he's speaking to you. There are things in the Old Testament that, in the literal sense, are directly spoken to the nation of Israel. Now, in a spiritual sense, we will have an application. We'll find a principle. We'll find something that we can learn for because all of God's Word is for us. But in a literal physical sense, there are some things that are written to the Jews that are not our mail. It's not written to us. He, he, we don't keep the law of Moses anymore in a literal sense because it's not our mail. We can read it, we can study it, we can look at the principles that it contains that help us to understand all of the Scripture, but we need to understand who the audience is in the Word of God's intention. Amen. There are two words in the Greek that are translated as word in the New Testament. One is logos, and we've taught on that before, and I'm not getting into that in any depth this morning. But logos means the thought and the plan or the expression of that plan. It's Logos that is translated as Word in John chapter 1 and verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 of the same chapter, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Talking of that, that's Logos. The other word, Greek word, that's translated as Word, it's always hard to say Word translated as Word. It sounds like you're making a mistake. Is Rima, R-H-E-M-A. Rima means something spoken, something uttered, or something written. Now, the two are similar and overlap. There's a reason for that. They're deliberately connected. God's word, the Bible tells us, is settled in heaven forever. That's logos. God's word doesn't change. The word of God that we have in our hands is settled. But there are times in our walk with God that we need a word from God for a situation in our present. When a verse or a passage speaks to us directly for that moment or situation. That's Rima. 
That's when in a moment God will bring something to your mind. That's when God speaks to us and your relationship between your relationship rather with the established word of God is directly connected to your ability to hear a specific word of God that you need at a specific time. What's a good example of that? Jesus' temptation. He's in the wilderness. He's fasted for 40 days. The devil comes to tempt him. He didn't have to think, well, you know, he wasn't going through his mind. Oh, what scripture is going to work here? The Spirit of God quickened to him the scriptures that he needed in the moment. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He, he didn't have a problem being in a relationship with the Word of God. He's the Word of God made flesh. And the better our relationship with the Word of God as a whole, the easier it is for the Spirit of God to bring us something that we need in the moment. You know, there are sometimes, there are some situations you're in, you don't need a scripture about tithing. Does it make that scripture any less powerful? No, it doesn't. It's still the anointed word of God. But there are situations and struggles and whatever it is you might be going through that God has a specific word for you from his scripture. And it might be a promise. You might be going through something and God will give you a verse to hang on to. That's Rima. We're not getting off into Greek studies because my knowledge will end very, very quickly. But that's understanding that God's Word exists as a whole, but it is also alive and it speaks to us in the present. Amen. That's the, another, to underline that idea, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the offensive weapon in your battle. So when you're in a battle, you need the right weapon for that situation. You need God to give you something. So when the devil comes against you, you can say, devil, that's what you say, but this is what God says. You say this, God says that, and I'm going to trust what God says because his word does not change. He will give us the right weapon for the right time if we know the word of God. Amen. And his spirit will bring his word to us. The Bible talks about being able to give an answer for what we believe and how the Lord will give us what to say. That doesn't mean you sit back and do nothing. You need to know what you believe. You need to be able to, you need to, be able to study the Scripture and say, well, I believe this because the Bible says that. But then God will give you, it will bring that to your mind when you need it because you've taken the time to learn it and to study it. Amen. The Word of God is alive and powerful. And that means that if our relationship with it and with its author, is it's directly connected to us hearing from God and having what we need when we need it. Many of you can testify of how there are situations in your lives where you weren't sure what to do and God gave you a word, gave you a promise, and you didn't know how that was going to pan out, but you hung on to that word from God and you trust in that and God brought you through. The promises of God are consistent for every situation, but he does give us particular things when we need them amen we need to know that god wants to speak to us and the lord said to the, the pharisees and the religious rules he said he said through your tradition you make the word of god of no effect he said you, you're just religious you've just gone through these all these traditions and rituals and processes but because it's just a, a, a routine you remove the power of god from the situation when the Lord was teaching his disciples how to pray, what did he say? He said, don't use vain repetitions. Well, it's the same thing. It's ritual. It's routine. It's just repeat. We've got to be careful 
that when we walk through that door on a Sunday morning, that it's not vain repetition, that it's not just a tradition. There's nothing wrong with coming to church being your tradition. That's a good tradition. But if we're just walking through and going through the motions, God's trying to give us something specific for right where we're at, but we're just in tradition, just going through the motions. We need to come through those doors regardless of who's scheduled to preach. Say, God, I know you want to speak to me today. I know your word is alive. I know the same spirit that is in me moved on the authors. It's eternal. It doesn't have an expiry date. And if I want to hear, you'll speak to me. I believe if we want to hear, you can take something home from every single service. You may not learn something new every single service. What you might need is to be reminded of something you've already been told a hundred times. But it might be the reamer that you need for that day. It might be what you need for that moment in time. You might have memorized as a child that my God shall supply your needs according to his riches in glory. But you might be going through lean times where there's not enough to make ends meet and somebody will preach a verse of scripture that you've heard maybe dozens and even hundreds of times and in that moment, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, it's right what you needed to hear. Amen. We've got mail this morning. God wants to speak to us. Amen. Some keys. I'm trying not to be too much longer. Some keys to hearing the voice of God. Again, Scripture. Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God will speak to you through His Word. I will go as far as to say that your reading, your study, and hearing the preached Word are the most consistent, regular ways that God speaks to people. They're not the only ways, but they are the most consistent, regular ways that God speaks to people. God will speak to us through His Spirit, giving us an impression in our heart and our mind where we just feel like God is saying something. God does speak to people sometimes in an audible voice like we speak to one another, but that is not the norm. The norm is that you learn to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. How do I know it's the Holy Ghost? Well, there's a few things. Number one, it's not going to be against God's Word. It'll be within the parameters of the Word of God. And you learn over time to recognize what is God and what is not. Just like you learn over time to recognize other people's voices. A parent can hear their child in a classroom full of other children. In a room full of noisy kids, you can pick your own child's voice. Why? Because there is a connection. There is a relationship that is like no other in that place. And it's the same with our walk with God as we walk with Him and we want to hear, we don't harden our hearts, we don't resist, we'll learn to be sensitive to the Word of God impressing something upon us. We use, we use the expression, you know, God spoke to me, God spoke to me, God told me this. And, you know, it's not necessarily audible, it's usually in our mind. But you learn to discern what is the voice of God. We need to be able to hear the voice of God. Amen. Jesus said, my sheep... Hear my voice. How does that happen? Repeated listening. Repeated listening. You've all heard me tell the story of when I went to visit Brother Glass in Melbourne, when he had those sheep on that house of his in the backside of Victoria there. And he would go out and stand at the fence, and he made this bizarre noise. It just kind of sounded like, and the sheep would lift their heads and come trotting across the paddock to him expecting something from him, usually food as an animal. And so when I was staying with him one day, I was outside and I thought, I'm going to give this a go. 
I walked over the fence and I went, Wah. I thought I sounded exactly like Brother Glass. Not a single sheep lifted its head. Didn't even acknowledge my existence. Just kept eating the grass. I didn't exist. Why? Because that animal was able to tell the difference between my whack and Brother Glass's whack. And you need to be able to tell the difference between the Spirit of God and what's going on out in this world. The only way that happens is you hear it again and again and again. And you're able to discern, that's my shepherd. That's the voice of the shepherd in my life. Amen. We need the Word of God. We need to be able to hear the voice of God. God speaks to us through the prophetic or the supernatural, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, some people get scared when you start talking about things like prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit, and there are some reasons to take that carefully. There's plenty of crazy out there. But if there's crazy, that means there's also real. It will always happen within the parameters of the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through to 21 says, Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Don't dismiss things that are said under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. But then it says, prove all things. Examine what you hear. Consider it in light of the Word of God. Consider it in light of what God's already told you. Consider it in light of what God's done historically. If you just believe everything you hear, you'll be going here, there, and everywhere. But don't quench the Spirit. In other words, allow God to speak. Allow God to move among us. Don't despise or reject the supernatural. But prove all things and hold fast that which is good. That suggests that there are some things we turf out and some things we keep. You examine it. You go, yeah, I think that's solid. I'll hang on to that. You go, I think that's a bit iffy. I'll leave that in the see what happens column. Amen. These things, anything that happens in the gifts of the Spirit is always designed to confirm and, con and back up the Word of God. It's not a new revelation. God will not speak through the gifts of the Spirit to give you new doctrine. Doctrine comes from the Word of God. God will use the gifts of the Spirit to give us direction, encouragement, edification, sometimes even correction. But most of the time, scripturally, the supernatural is to build up and strengthen the church. The Lord is not going to say, Thus saith the Lord, I'm giving you a new doctrine that you don't have yet, but trust me, it's real. That's not going to happen. And if somebody says something apparently operating in the supernatural that is against the word of God, what do you do? You prove, you test all things. No, that ain't of God. You know, that when we, when we have the gifts of the Spirit moving to service, most often in, this, in our church, it's often tongues and interpretations and prophecy. Does it, is it right every single time? I'd like to believe it was, but no, it's not. Let's be honest, we're human. Anything that God puts in the hands of humanity is subject to abuse and misuse. But we allow for humanity. As the pastor, that responsibility stops with me. If somebody gives an interpretation and I'm kind of like, mm, not sure. If it hasn't done any damage, we're just going to let it go by the boy. If they've said something that's controversial or going to cause trouble, you have to deal with that. But we should always be willing to hear from God. Quench not the Spirit. I'm aware of churches that because of bad experiences with the supernatural they shut down the supernatural that's the wrong response the right response is let's do it the right way let's adjust it let's do it the way that god wants us to do and the things the, the gifts of the spirit will never contradict the word of god 
And if you have the Holy Ghost, you'll often feel a witness that it's the Spirit of God. You'll feel that, yep, that's from God. Amen. Amen. If you don't feel that witness, don't go charging up to somebody after the service and saying, hey, I think you missed the bus on that one. Leave it alone. That's my job. We don't want everybody running around letting everybody know. Sometimes you don't feel a witness because you're not really spiritual at that particular time yourself. Amen. And that includes me. There are sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure. And I'll go, oh, well, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit off the boil at the moment. Amen. Another way God speaks to us is godly counsel. God uses the spiritual leadership in a church to speak to us. That's why in Ephesians it says that the, the ministerial gifts are given for what? To strengthen the church, to get the church to be able to be the church. So God uses those offices. Here's some advice if you're going to seek counsel. Pray before you go. There's something you want counsel for before you come talk to me or Brother Gavin or one of the other elders. So God, use that person to speak to me. Invite God into that process and trust him that he will do what you've asked him to do. He said, you know, do you not give your children good things? How much more is your heavenly father? Will I give the spirit to them? That I? The principle is if we ask God for something, he's going to give us what is good. If you say to the Lord, Lord, I really need some good counsel. Please direct my pastor to speak to me. He's not going to say, watch me mess with their heads by giving the pastor something crazy. He's going to honor your faith and, and guide that situation. God speaks to us. I can't tell you how many times in my life that God has used my pastors to speak to me things I needed to hear for that moment. Amen. And confirmation, particularly with big decisions, we look for confirmation, the biblical principle of two or three witnesses. It might be the preached word of God together with the gifts of the Spirit or together with godly counsel. You're looking for consistency. Because if it's of God, there's one Spirit. There's only one Spirit of God. There's a whole lot of other spirits, but there's only one Spirit of God. The same Spirit that inspired the Word of God is the same Spirit that fills us with the Holy Ghost, the same Spirit the supernatural operates through, the same Spirit that should guide our counsel, the same Spirit that we should feel a witness from when the supernatural is operating. There should be a confirmation. If that's all out of whack, we need to take a step back and say, all right, Lord, I need some clarity here. Amen. And that goes along with the idea of the peace of God will confirm something to us. Sometimes you just hear something and you know it's from God. You know it's from God. I want to encourage us. I think it's very easy as apostolics in every aspect of our walk with God to just go through the motions. Do you still hear from God as regularly as you did when you first started your walk with God? How often does the Word of God just leap out from the page when you're in your day, time of prayer and consecration? When you walk through the doors of the house of God, how hungry are you to hear from God? Or uh, is our tradition taking away the power of the Word of God? It's still alive. It's still powerful. It hasn't changed. It still will do what God said it would do. Just as many people speak about, you know, when, when they just started out with God, God was speaking to them all over the place. You know what? They were hungry to hear. Who's ever come to church and had their mail read? You know what that expression means? That means when you come to church and you've gone through, you know, you've got a situation going on and you're thinking about it and the preacher will get up and it's like somebody told them all your personal details. I know of situations where people have got angry and come and challenge the preacher and said, who told you about me? How do you know those things? And the preacher's like, whoa, whoa. That's the word of God in operation. That's the word. I know of people that have, that have come to this church and they've come with a whole list of questions 
that I knew nothing about and I've stood up and just preached whatever God's given me. They've told me afterwards that God answered every single one of those questions. That's the word of God. He that hath ears to hear, harden not your hearts. Listen to the voice of God. Hear the voice of God. There are many voices in the world, the scripture says. We need to hear the voice of our shepherd. It comes through this. When it says that this is the sword of the Spirit, you don't take this and somehow make a weapon out of it physically, but the Spirit of God will lead you to what you need to fight that battle on that day in that circumstance. Let's stand together this morning. You've got mail. God wants to talk to you. You know, we think, well, you know, the church is growing. God's got to spread himself further. He can't spend as much time with each of us as he used to when there was only 50 of us here. That's the pastor's problem. That's not God's problem. God is able to speak to every one of us simultaneously. He's able to answer every question, every situation, every problem, every attitude, every heartache at the same time as if you are the only person that existed. So if we don't hear from him, what is the question? Has he stopped writing to us? Has he stopped wanting to speak to us? No, he that hath ears to hear. Let him hear. You know, in the book of Revelation, and I'm just going to try to finish with this, there are seven churches that the Apostle John was instructed to write to. They were literal churches in that time frame in history. Some people suggest that they are, each one of them represents a different time period through history. I'm not so sure about that. Others say that it represents possible different spiritual states of various churches. There's merit in all of that. But one of those churches that was written to is the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was not a bad place, wasn't a bad church. But the issue that God had with them, the thing he wanted to correct with them was their first love. He said, you've got to get back to your first love. You've got to get back to how hungry you were, how you wanted to hear from God, how you wanted God to speak to you, to change you. He wanted to open the word of God and lose track of time and, and let God and open your heart to God and let his spirit and his word just do surgery. And when you had a problem, you, somebody asked me last night in the youth session, you know, is it wrong to ask God to, about the little things? I said, absolutely not. God cares about the little things. He wants you to invite you into his life. I, I talked about it many times, but when I was a kid growing up, I used to think it was kind of weird that my mom used to ask God for a good parking spot at the shopping center. You know, no one's going to hell over where they park in the car park. But she would ask God for shade or a car park and God would show up again and again and again. Guess what I do now when I'm driving into a busy car park? Because God cares about the little things. He wants to talk to us. He wants us to talk to him. But he wants us to have ears to hear. I wonder if we would just lift our hands across this place and ask God to touch us this morning. Ask him to speak to us. Maybe we need to take a moment to repent. Maybe we need to say, God, I've been distracted. God, I've let life just consume me in so many different directions. I've not wanted to yield to where you've led me, so I've hardened my heart. And because of that, your voice has grown faint. But, oh, God, I pray. God, help me to stop. Help me to listen. Take away this stony heart and give me a heart of flesh, Lord, like you said in your word, Lord, that you would speak to us. 
Lord, that when the shepherd opens his mouth, that the sheep would listen, Lord, that they would give their attention to him, that we would be directed by him, Lord, that we would not just become complacent with your word, but that we would recognize that no matter how much we know, we've not even begun to scratch the surface of the treasures that are found in your word. Lord, that when we get together, Lord, when we come through that door on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, Lord, on a Wednesday night, Lord, that there'd be something in our hearts that would cry out and say, God, speak to me.